Guardians of Time. I'll be right back. Where do I go for all my website and IT needs? I trust Maxwell White. Max takes care of all of my IT needs for all of my companies, whether it is website work such as markbowser.com or strategy and implementation of an internet ad campaign. Max has the answers. No project is too small or too large for his personal attention. That I really like. Even if I just need a little IT advice, Max always has time to listen to my needs and provide solutions to solve them. So I trust Max, and I know you can too. Contact him today at maxslink.com. That's M-A-X-S-L-I-N-K dot com. On the next two episodes of Let Me Tell You a Story, we're going to do things a little differently than we normally do. Yes, I'm still going to tell you a story, but it's going to be a truly fictional story. A number of years ago, I began writing a, a program called The Guardians of Time. And I want to share just a little bit of that with you here in the next two episodes. It's a story that, yes, has to do with history. In fact, it has to do with changing history or not to change history. In it, you're going to find courage and, and relationship loyalty and, and hopefully even a little inspiration. So without further ado, we're going to start with The Guardians of Time, Chapter 1 or Episode 1, Part 1, called The Cave in the Woods. The tale you're about to read is true in every way as far as I can remember it. For you see, it took place 44 years ago. It is hard to imagine it was that long ago. In some ways, it seems like it was only this morning that we found the cave and changed the world. But I am getting ahead of myself. Let me introduce myself. My name is Drew Blake. All this happened when I was 14 years old. I grew up in a medium-sized town in central Indiana. Anderson, Indiana to be exact. I hesitated for a long while on whether I should tell you my real name or not. For you see, we were told to never share this story. However, over the years, it has become abundantly clear to me of the folly of that advice. So, with understanding the, the, of all the risks, all names are accurate and real in this amazing story, which is my life. Anyway, it was June 6, 1977. I will never forget that date. My buddy, Griffin Reagan, and I walked out of the garage door of my house and headed down the hill to the river. I grew up in a house that was across the street from a wooded area. The woods ran down the hill to hit the river and then it spread out to the east and west. On that fateful day, Griffin and I were armed with only our BB guns and some old army canteens our fathers let us borrow. Griffin and I loved to go to the river and shoot at old cans, bottles, and any other trash we could find that would float. Why float? Well, of course, a moving target is much more fun to shoot at. We would throw the floating trash into the river and let the current take it away. It was as if the enemy were trying to escape and we would run on the riverbank and put as many BBs as necessary into the belly of the beast until it sank. I know in this day of political correctness and environmental consciousness, this all seems like the acts of two juvenile delinquents. But in 1977, things were different. On this particular day, we turned east at the river and headed for the bridge. There was an overpass of the old 109 bypass. This was our favorite spot. You see, that is where you could find the best cans and bottles. We never questioned why there were so many under the bridge. We just were grateful for the bountiful treasure to conduct our war against. 
I look back at it and these many years later and wonder about the parties that must have happened under that old bridge at night. On this particular day, we found an extremely large quantity of our floating bounty. We gathered it all up and put it in a pile. That is when we got silly, as all 14-year-old boys are apt to do from time to time. We started horsing around, and then Griffin got the bright idea to take target practice at me. Well, I knew the damage a BB could cause to the unprotected face. You see, my old co- older cousin Dave used to have BB gun wars with his buddies. One day, a BB slipped past Dave's mask and buried itself in his nose. I still remember how silly he looked when he came in the door. He had a big old dent in his nose. It took Mom the better part of an hour to dig that BB out of his nose. From then on, Dave had a crater on the tip of his snaz like a tiny Grand Canyon. He thought of it as a badge of honor. Mom had other thoughts. Anyway, learning from Dave's experience and not having any facial equipment on, I turned and took off running. I figured at best I would run out of Griffin's range of accuracy. At worst, the BB would hit me in the back. Just as Griffin was taking aim, I tripped on the trash we had heaped up. I did a belly flop tuck and roll that would have earned me scores of tens if I was in a swimming pool. However, in the woods that day, that simple slip of foot changed Griffin's in my lives. And I dare say yours as well. For my face landed near an old sycamore tree stump that had been there as long as Griffin and I could remember. This was a huge tree stump. It was at least four feet in diameter. When I started to get up, I saw something. It was a glow. Not a bright glow, just a dull yellowish glow. You know, kind of like the glow you get from a bedroom nightlight when you were a child. Meanwhile, Griffin saw this as a golden opportunity to nail me with a BB. He was about 20 yards away now, and, and that was definitely in his range of excellence. I said, man, cut it out. I found something. Yeah, I'll bet. Be glad to look at it right after I light you up, said Griffin. No, I'm serious, man. Look at this. Griffin lowered his weapon and walked up to where I was still sprawled belly down in the dirt. What are you talking about? asked Griffin, ready to take aim and let me have it at point-blank range if I was pulling his chain. As soon as Griffin got close enough, he saw the same faint glow as I. Whoa, what is that? asked Griffin. I don't know. I then pushed on the old stump and it gave way. It worked like a door on its hinges. It opened up to what appeared to be a deep cavern. The yellowish glow gave us a a visual of the inside of this cavern. I will admit, it wasn't an inviting visual. The cavern had smooth sides that sloped at a 15 degree angle into the earth. Let's check it out, exclaimed Griffin excitedly. Griffin was always susceptible to rash behavior. Me, on the other hand, could be a little too cautious. What are you, nuts? We don't know what is down there, I said with all the wisdom of Solomon. Well, at least I thought so at the time. Looking back, I am glad Griffin talked me, I I mean shamed me, into getting my courage up to enter that dark, dank cave. That day changed me in many ways. I entered that cave on that Wednesday afternoon in the summer of 1977 as a shy, cautious boy, dreaming about adventure and came out a young man full of courage, living an adventure. As we entered the cave, we realized how smooth the cave walls really were. We no sooner sat down to ease ourselves into the cave slowly when all of a sudden we began to be pulled into the cave with a magnitude that holds the moon close to the earth. 
It was as if there were magnets on the cave walls that were attracted to our blue jeans. We screamed with all our might as we continued to pick up speed. It seemed like an eternity that we were on the, this infernal slide into the ground. After about 20 seconds, we hit the bottom with a thud. Griffin had chained me so much that I had entered the cave a half second before him, which was a big mistake. You see, Griffin is a big boy. He outweighed me by about 50 pounds. Have you ever had a sack of potatoes dropped on your stomach while you were sleeping? Well, that is what it felt like. I had just landed at the bottom and was trying to get my bearings. I had moved to a crouching position when Griffin slid into me with the force of a linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals. Totally knocked my feet from under me as Griffin and I tumbled back against the smooth, hard cave floor. After a moment, we were both on our feet, gawking at what we were looking at in front of us. We had landed in a large, circular room. All around the circular cavern were the entrance to tunnels. There were so many tunnels that we couldn't count them all. Each tunnel had a glow coming from it. The yellowish glow we had seen back on the surface was coming from the tunnel directly in front of us. The tunnel next to it on the left had a lime-greenish glow. The one on the right had a pinkish hue. Each tunnel had its own distinct color. Blue, red, purple, baby blue, scarlet. At that point, I had gotten up my courage and started heading towards the yellowish tunnel in front of us. Griffin grabbed me by the arm and said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going in that tunnel. What for? It's creepy down here. Let's go back up. How do you suppose we do that? I don't see any ladder or rope, and there is no way we can climb back up that wall. It is too slick. Our only way out of here is through these tunnels. Griffin was turning so yellow that I thought he was going to throw up. I then realized it was the glow from the tunnel highlighting Griffin's face. I guess you are right. But if I die in there, I'm going to kick your butt, Griffin said, with all the brilliance that a 14-year-old boy can put together. If you're dead, Sherlock, how are you going to kick my butt? Come on, let's get this done. We slowly entered the yellowish tunnel. Griffin was so close to me that I could feel his warm breath on the back of my neck. We were scared and excited all at the same time. We always pretended we were having adventures. Now we were in an adventure. We'd walked for about two minutes when the yellowish glow began to turn into a yellowish fog. It got so thick at one point we could barely see three feet in front of us. The fog slowly faded into what appeared to be sunlight. After about another minute of walking, the tunnel began to slope upward. It was a slight grade and we had no problem moving forward. Meanwhile, the fog had totally dissipated and the sunlight began to get brighter with every step. We finally reached the top of the tunnel and we could see the sun peeking through what appeared to be some sort of bush. We pushed our way through the bush and seemed to enter into an alley between two brick buildings. The alley floor itself was made of dusty, dry dirt. We exited the alley into what appeared to be a movie set. The buildings were old, but they didn't look old. What I mean is they, they were shaped like the pictures of buildings in my history book from school, but they looked like they had just been built. The oddest thing was the clothes the people were wearing. Most of them had on those knicker-type suits that they wore back in colonial days. The women were dressed in those fancy, frilly dresses. Griffin and I began to get some funny looks from people. I thought it was because we had stumbled onto a movie set and were about to get in trouble. Later I began to realize it was our appearance. 
Our blue jeans were like something these people had never seen before, and we were still carrying our BB guns. Cool, Griffin exclaimed. We get to watch a movie being made. I don't know, Griff. This doesn't feel right. Something is wrong here. We walked up the street a little ways and then walked into what looked like an old-fashioned general store. I tell you, the detail was amazing. They should go all out for a movie set. If that was what we, this really was, we were experiencing. This is just not proper, Fred, said an older gentleman in the same colonial-type clothing we saw before. Something is going to have to be done about these British troops. They are all over Boston now. And always carrying those guns. Mark my words, Fred, someone is going to get hurt if they keep forcing their way into our businesses and lives. Griffin and I looked all around the store, but it wasn't there. Where, where was the camera? In the movie director. You boys looking for something? Asked the man behind the counter. The same man, the older gentleman, had called Fred. Sir, can you tell me today's date? I asked. Griffin looked at me with a puzzled expression on his face. I had a bad feeling and I needed to know today's date. Well, it's, it is March 5th, young man, said the man behind the counter. What year is it, sir? I asked with a very worried expression on my face. Fred and the, old, and the older gentleman now looked at Griffin and I with a confusion and I might add a bit of suspicion. 1770, of course. What year do you think it is? By the way, you, you can't stay in here with those guns. We had almost forgotten we were still holding our BB guns. I turned slowly in a daze and headed for the door. Of course, Griffin followed me. As I opened the door, I turned and thanked the man behind the counter. Thank you, sir. He gave me a friendly wave and continued his conversation with the older gentleman. What was that all about? You look like you've seen a ghost, exclaimed Griffin as we walked out the door. Griffin, I don't think we are on a movie set. Did you hear what he said today's date was? Yeah. What about it? That date doesn't ring a bell to you? We talked about that date a few weeks ago in our history class at school. Oh, I don't pay attention to that stuff, Griffin said as he casually waved me off with his hand. Not everybody loves history as much as you do. That is the date of the Boston Massacre, you boob. Why don't you pay attention in class? At that moment I said this, two ladies walked by. When they heard me say Boston Massacre, they gave us the dirtiest looks. Are, are you saying what I think you're saying? Asked Griffin as he was turning pale now. We are not on a movie set, but actually back in time in the year 1770. That is exactly what I am saying. Oh, you have watched too many movies. Then how do you explain it? I can't, but that doesn't mean we have become time travelers. At that moment... A group of British soldiers walked by us on the street. We looked up at them as they passed. Griffin looked at me and knew for certain I had seen a ghost. Now, what? He yelled at me. That, that is Hugh Montgomery. As I pointed to a pudgy soldier walking in the back of the group. Who? Asked Griffin. Private Hugh Montgomery. The one who fired the first shot that started the Boston Massacre. Are you sure? Asked Griffin. At that moment, I yelled at the top of my lungs, Private Hugh Montgomery! The fat, pudgy soldier turned around with a jolt. I simply waved at him. He awkwardly waved back, obviously not recognizing me. What are you doing? Are you nuts? exclaimed Griffin. I am proving my point. We are back in 1770, 
March 5th to be exact. And if we don't do something, that fat man is going to kill people. And that's the end of part one. In our next episode of Let Me Tell You a Story, we will continue with The Guardians of Time, episode one, The Cave in the Woods. I'll see you then. This is Mark Bowser. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for a speaker for your next organizational event? Look no further than the host of this podcast, Mark Bowser. He's presented seminars to Southwest Airlines, Princeton University, the United States Marine Corps, Dell, and many more. Learn more about Mark speaking and other work on markbowser.com.